ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And thank you for subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Check this out on this podcast. What we're going to talk about is COVID-19. More specifically, we're going to actually do a deep dive into COVID-19 with a twist. I have a special co-host on this particular podcast, Dr. Jamel Felder. She is not only one of the best pediatricians in the world, she happens to be one of my best friends. (laughs) So she's going to talk a little bit about the COVID experience, talk about the vaccines that are out now and shed some light on some of the disparities and also talk about her apprehension into getting the COVID vaccine shot as well. So sit tight. After the break, I will present to you COVID-19 with Dr. Jamel Felder here on the 12 Kyle podcast. Let's get it. Welcome back. As I mentioned in the intro, we have a special guest Uh, on this edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. Again, I am your host, 12 Kyle. Uh, Special, special guest. Uh, This guest, first time on the podcast. Uh, She is a mother. She is a wife. She is one of the best pediatricians in the world. Uh, (laughs) She used to be my BFF, but, you know, she's now Sharice's BFF, which is my wife. But nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the 12 Kyle podcast for the first time. Dr. Jamel Paysinger. Dr. Paysinger, what's up? Hello, how or are should, you? Or should I call you Dr. Jamel? Which one do you, do you prefer? Well, really, Dr. Felder, oh, because that's me. my professional name. Oh, excuse me, Dr. Um. Felder. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> excuse me. Well, Dr. Felder then. Yes, yes. Dr. Felder Pacing. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And I know that um, uh, you have lots of listeners. So I'm so super excited and honored to be here. Yes, yes. And and we're I'm definitely honored to have you here. Uh, Like I said, a little background. I've known her uh, probably since I was like eight years old. We've been friends forever. Uh, she is the. It's god- about five, right? Remember we did that Delta pageant oh, together. Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right, that's right. Um, so we're 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 a little older, but we, we you know we we go way back. Uh, she is, she is the godmother of our oldest son, and I am the we are the godparents of her oldest son. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're the best of friends. Uh, she like I said, she was my my BFF, but maybe we'll get into that I'm a little later. I'm still your BFF, Kyle. Stop, stop now, stop. Anyway, <laughs> so I got you on the podcast. Because obviously we're talking about something a little more serious than 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 normal. What I talk about here on the podcast, uh, obviously we're dealing with talking about COVID, um, and I wanted to get you on because obviously you're someone who uh, is a professional, uh, and you see it and are involved with it every day. You're not Dr. Fauci, but you know a lot, <laughs> and, and so I, I definitely well, yeah, well, Dr. Fauci, all doctors, you know, most doctors who have any sense, revere uh, Dr. Fauci because he's a very intelligent, very smart um, individual. And he's been in the game for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, no, I'm by no means a Dr. Fauci. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
but you're but you're up there. But I I like Dr. Foster too. He he seems to be really 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 knowledgeable and very cool too as well. Um, so as far as COVID goes, uh, obviously we're in this pandemic and it's been going on at the time of this recording. It's been over a year now. Um, right. Let's let's go back. When did you first hear about COVID? And and it's a two part question. And how how serious did you take it? Um, I think like with everybody, you know, you first heard about it when it was um, first diagnosed in China. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we took it as seriously as we should have um, until about maybe um, January when it hit here um, but out in Washington. Um, I think it was January, late January, early February. I might have those wrong. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, when they when the outbreaks made it to the United States, I think that's when people pay attention. I mean, just like other things that go on, um, the atrocities and things that go on all around the world. But when it hits your front door, that's when you pay more attention, I believe. That's just human nature, I think. Yeah, I think, I yeah, think there's, I think there's some, something to that. Okay, I'm getting some feedback. Okay, okay, one, two, okay. Okay, yeah. I think there's something to that. I think you have uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think for me it was much like that. I I heard about it, but to me it sounded some it sounded like something that was, you know, really far away. And I think probably by by the end of February, early March is when I right before everything shut down. I was like, oh, so this is serious. Like, what do you mean we're not going into the office anymore? Like, we're gonna be at home? Like, I I I took it serious, but you know, I just. I didn't envision any of this. I'm sure nobody else did. Um, so yeah, I think most Americans took it more seriously when it affected them personally, like jobs and mm-hmm. the shutdown and, the, and um, staying at home, the stay-at-home orders and those kind of things. For people in the medical professional, though, I think we probably were a little nervous mm-hmm. when 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 the outbreaks were starting because, you know, anytime there's an outbreak, you're, you're thinking that it could, you know, spread and it's just the early signs of a pandemic, you know. And so so I think for those of us in the medical field, we may have been alerted to it a little bit sooner that it may have been more serious than at, at first believed mm-hmm. to be. Um, yeah, but of course, when the all the, the mandatory shutdowns and everybody was like, oh, no, this is serious. You know, that hadn't, you know, happened in our lifetime. So no doubt. Um, so with the, when the pandemic <laughs> happened, and we had, you know, like you said, the mandatory shutdowns. Did you or could you have ever envisioned, even in the medical profession, have you could could you have ever envisioned it being this long as far as us being in this pandemic for it going, you know, going to put the better part of a year now? Well, um, that's the sad part about things. Um, you know, history repeats itself. So if you go back 100 years to the pandemic, uh, the Spanish flu in 1918, um, yes, that was the better part of a year, two years. Um, and, um, also a war was going on at the same time. And so, um, if you look at history, um, as we often say, history repeats itself. And, you know, in medicine, we say that there will be cycles of pandemic and pandemics and epidemics. And so, you know, you, um, don't know when the next one will be, but sure, it, there's always the, um, the possibility that one will arise. I mean, the last one I think of in recent time was the H1N1 with the swine flu mm-hmm. um, for us in the United States. But there have been um, SARS and, and um, 
you know, infections, you know, over Ebola and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, when it affects us, that's when we take notice. So I think the, the main one we remember, and it was not quite as large as, you know, when no, not by far was, um, I think, H1N1. And that was early in my career um, that came that summer. Right. And um, we started seeing the flu in the summertime. So, so with so, I guess the next question I have is when it comes to the medical profession, because we don't really hear a lot. Like I, I watch the news and there would be, you know, stories about how the medical profession is affected, but never really deep dives. Because, I mean, if you're watching the news, you only got, you know, maybe six or seven minutes to cover a particular story. But how how has it impacted the medical community? Because obviously those are the people that are on the front lines. Those are the people that are risking their lives every day, every single day, day in and day out. And, you know, to be honest, those are the thankless heroes because, you know, a lot of times they are, you know, they are the last ones for some, the last ones to make contact with a loved one or friend or family member that passes away in, you know, in the ICU room or whatever the case may be. How has this really affected the, uh, the medical community? Because I, w- I would guess that it would, you know, be very stressful and, and kind of stretch them thin, if, if, if you will. Right. So I'll answer that in a twofold question. I'll say from my perspective and then I'll say from um, others' perspective, meaning like the ones that are on the front line. So for me as a pediatrician, the way it changed the way we practice medicine is that in the blink of an eye, really, like overnight, we had to change our the way we um, did our office workflow. Um, we also had to um, change the way we saw patients. So, for instance, uh, we transitioned heavily to uh, telemedicine, um, and that was something that was not really really utilized a lot in medicine prior to the pandemic. There were certain pockets where telemedicine was helpful, sometimes in coverage of ICUs and, and you know things of that nature. But a widespread use of telemedicine, I would say, um, was one of the transformative things that happened in medicine for the everyday practitioner. So we started seeing a lot of people um, through telemedicine video visits. And then we also changed our office workflow. So for pediatricians, um, and we still do this, uh, in the mornings, we only see well children. And then in the afternoons, those were kind of specifically for sick kids. And then uh, probably a couple of months ago, probably, um, I guess five or six months ago now, we... um, started seeing a small handful of children in the morning um, that were sick just for purposes of convenience for families that didn't, have to, didn't want to wait to the afternoon because their child was was really sick. So we see about a handful of people in the morning, too, um, the call doctor does. So we changed the way we did our um, call rotation. We changed the way we did inpatient nursery rounds. We changed the way we saw patients. We changed our office workflow. And of course, we had to um, use PPE on mostly everybody. So in pediatrics, everybody comes in with all of the symptoms for COVID and you don't know if they have it or not. And prior to us having a test in our office, you had to treat everybody as if they may have, you know, COVID-19. So um, now that that is, you know, not certainly not the case. And we've transition back to seeing more patients in person. And now that we have the test in our office, it's easier to do that because you can test them before they come in. Not that those tests are 100%, but they give you um, a little bit better um, um, uh, let's see, they, they give you a little bit better uh, calm feeling like it's okay for them to be 
brought in your office, I guess is the, the way I'm trying to say it. And then on the flip side, the other part of the question is um, for healthcare workers in general, I'll speak specifically to my husband who is an internal medicine physician who is really on the front lines, really, really on the front lines, seeing people in the ICU, um, diagnosed with COVID in the ICU for weeks on end on the ventilators and those kind of things. It's exhausting, I think, for, for them mentally, um, physically, emotionally, that toll, um, especially in the height of the surges when, you know, there's no visitation allowed um, and you're in there seeing patients day in and day out. Um, we, we came into medicine to, to heal people um, and save people. And in, in, in certain circumstances, a lot of these people um, cannot be saved no matter what we do. And, and so we've gotten better, you know, the, the research and the treatment regimens have um, evolved and, and we know a lot more than we did when the pandemic started. But as you can imagine, if you're seeing um, so many sick people day in and day out, that would definitely take a toll. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. It's, uh, it's uh, that I know that yeah, way heavy on someone's yeah, head and their heart yeah. as well, because it's just like, you know, you, you want to do everything in your power to help someone, and then, you know, the last thing you want to do is see them sick or, you know, unfortunately have them leave the earth. Um, right. So, and I know that that's got to be tough and, like I said, stressful. Um, so we've we've moved on and and we went through that in March and and it got worse and worse and worse and things you know didn't really look like they were getting any better and then probably somewhere over the summer there you know became word that there was going to be some vaccines available and that they were working on vaccines um so i want to talk a little bit about the vaccines uh at the time of this recording the vaccines are now here uh so i have a two-part question when did you get vaccinated and uh did you experience any side effects when you got vaccinated um, so I'll just do a little uh, intro into the vaccines, just so you so you're, so we can all be on the same page. So there are currently three FDA approved vaccines: um, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccines. Pfizer was the first one to get FDA um, approval, followed by Moderna, and then most recently um, J and J, the Janssen vaccine. And so the first two Pfizer and Moderna are mRNA vaccines, messenger. Um, RNA vaccines, which is a newer technology, but it's not new in the fact that it's been used in research for decades. And then the um, more traditional vaccine is the J&J Janssen vaccine uses a vector technology. And all that means is they use a a different virus to kind of invade into the cell to um, get the uh, vaccine particles that will be used to make the protein, the spike protein that the body sees as foreign. Um, That's the older technology that we've used for vaccines for um, most of the vaccines or use that technology. And so at the the time of this recording, there are three and I got my um, vaccine in December. Um, I got the Pfizer vaccine because that's what my hospital was offering. And my side effects were none after the first vaccine and then um, had terrible side effects after the second vaccine, which included um, just a bad headache was the, my main um, side effect. And um, But lots of people have had uh, uh, reactions to this. And basically it's because your immune system sees something 
um, that is foreign and your immune system is working. And so that's what the side effects entail, that your immune system is doing something, having some kind of reaction to what it is seeing as foreign. So that means your immune system is working very well. Now, some people do well and don't have any side effects, but, um, but a lot of people do have side effects. And, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get the vaccine because you certainly could take a headache or any other minor side effects um, uh, better than just getting uh, COVID-19. Even though, I mean, you could have a mild case or you can have a severe case. So, you know, why, why take the, the chance um, when there's a, a very effective, three very effective vaccines out there that you could possibly get and, and have immunity that way? Indeed, indeed. I have, indeed, I have, I've had my first shot. And by the time this is, I would have had my second shot. Uh, I have my second shot on April 7th. Uh, so okay. Coming up. So, uh, okay. and I took the, I got the Moderna uh, vaccine. Okay. Um, right. I will tell you, I will tell the audience what I told you. Uh, I didn't really have any interest in getting the vaccine until I talked to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until we talked, I talked to you and then I talked to my cousin, Donald, who's also a physician. Um, I just, I, I didn't really know. And then I think one of the things that I learned from our conversation, I, I said, well, let me, let me just do, cause you said something, you said something about do some research. And so I was like, okay, I, I took that, that bit of advice and I just kind of did my own research as far as, you know, and I, I think probably more than anything else, I was letting, um, you know, outside noise kind of affect my decision. I'll be the first to admit that it's a personal decision. You know, I mean, everybody's right. not going to get vaccinated. Um, right. One of the questions I wanted to ask you as well, you, I know you mentioned the, the three that are out now, um, is one more better than the other? Um, so I, I would say, now I'm going to take Dr. Foucher approach. If, um, <laughs> if you have an opportunity to get any of the vaccines, all of the vaccines are quite effective. So, um, you know, people look at the percentage rates and the Moderna is uh, 94% effective, I believe, and Pfizer's 95. And then there's that 72 number that they have for um, uh, J&J, which, you know, they, they may do a second dose um, at some point. Um, but 72% is good because it, it protects you against moderate to severe disease of coronavirus um, infection. So I think, I don't think you should be choosy at this point. I think you should just get whatever is available in your area um, to have some sort of immunity from um, uh, coronavirus. Now, you, you say hey, you say you but, but I gotta admit, I was very choosy. <laughs> I did not want the J and J. I said I'm gonna. I had to search, and um, I found a place, uh, a local grocery store that was, you know, doing the vaccinations. And uh, it wasn't in my area, whatever, like that, um, where where I could get an, a, a quick appointment. But um, you know, I, I wanted either Moderna or Pfizer. They had Moderna, so that's what I went with. Um, uh, my wife, Sharice, uh, Jamel's BFF, uh, she got the Pfizer vaccine. <laughs> she got the Pfizer vaccine and, uh, she just had her second shot. Um, so it, it, you're right. It is, it is, uh, very effective. 
um, no matter which one you get. Uh, now, one other question I had for you was when you talk about, you know, the origin of these, uh, I guess we probably should go with Moderna and, um, and Pfizer. These vaccines were around before 2020, correct? <laughs> Not these specific vaccines. Okay. So, so what you're, I guess what you're alluding to, you're talking about the technology that was used to create the vaccine. Yes. So, um, so what I alluded to a little bit earlier was that, um, you know, people talk about, so I'll just back up and say for me personally too, I had no interest in getting the vaccine. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. you know, everything under the sun excuse you could come up with is too new. Um, it was, it was developed too fast. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get, you know, a third eye, is it going to mess with my DNA? Um, is it going to make me, um, get infected with coronavirus? So, uh, you know, all these different myths. And for me personally, I didn't have all, all of those. I just felt like it was a new technology and it hadn't been out long enough. Um, but, um, turns out messenger RNA, um, technology has been used for a long time. And so basically in, in research, they've, they've been trying to hone this technology, um, since the early 2000s. And so they have really tried to use it in like trying to develop uh, technology with flu vaccines, um, with rabies vaccines. They used it for Zika virus when that was out. Um, they've also done, tried to use it with cancer and HIV research. So the technology has been out there for a long time, but has now just been used to uh, make this vaccine. And so once I found that out, that it wasn't really a new technology, it had been around for a while, then, um, and understand the way it actually works, then I felt fine with it. Um, because, you know, not everybody goes to medical school, but once it was explained to me um, by someone who was very well to do and, and, and the know-how, um, I really understood that this was, this was okay. Um, and, and then I felt comfortable taking it. And then plus my brother, as you well know, um, got diagnosed with, uh, COVID-19 in December and it devastated him. And so he, um, is still here, but, it, um, he, um, has some long term debilitating effects from it. And, um, since we are in the same gene pool, I just figured I would be better off getting a vaccine instead of seeing how, um, coronavirus would, uh, attack my body in such a fashion. So I just said, well, you know what, um, new technology, old technology, whatnot, I, I need some immunity from this, um, this disease. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. I, I totally understand. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I know we had conversations about it. You know, seeing it go through, you know, people's families is one thing. Seeing it happen to people that we maybe went to school with or whatever the case may be is one thing. But when it hits your family, uh, like it hit your family and then it hit my family too at the same, almost around the same time. Uh, right. You know, it almost like went through my, not my my in my immediate family in my house, but like my brother had it. I had an aunt that had it cousins. They right. had it. And, you know, fortunately for us, everybody was okay. 
Um, right. I, when my brother had it, I think he said the worst side effect that he had was he said he was dizzy. He was really, really dizzy one day. He had this cough for the better part of about four days, but it mm-hmm. really didn't, you know, it really didn't. It went through his house, but it was, you know, he it was very mild. And so I felt like he dodged a bullet. But, you know, I just I, I just didn't want to kind of take that chance. So if I think that was kind of like a warning sign to me, like, look, OK, when this vaccine becomes available. And then after that, you and I had to talk and I just I was like, OK, I'm going to do it. Um, right. And so we made a decision, you know, as a family that we were going to do it um, again. I, I don't I don't necessarily begrudge anyone who doesn't. I know people are going to make their own decisions. The only thing I will say, especially concerning this podcast as well, um, you know, do your research and make your own decision from there. Don't go to Twitter. <laughs> don't go to, uh, you know, Facebook. I mean, I, you can use those as resources to, to get as much information as you need. But ultimately, you're going to have to make your own decision. And I think it's very key that you are a medical professional. Professional. And you said that you were skeptical about taking a vaccine and you were in the know. You know what I'm saying? So it's right. it's, it's it's understandable that people will be skeptical about a vaccine. And, and that was one of the first things that I heard, like, oh, man, they just they just came up with this like six months ago. How, how do you know it's going to work? Um, so now millions of people have gotten it. So right. we're we're, you know. I mean, if you will, we're a part of a, a huge vaccine trial, I mean, in, in real life. Um, and so millions and millions of people have received the vaccine. Um, and, um, you know, the better part of everybody has done well. Um, there have been some some severe uh, side effects, but for the most part, everybody has done well. And um, to date at the uh, recording, around 148 million people in the United States have received the vaccine. Wow. So that's that's a pretty good amount. Nowhere near where we need to be. So so just for clarification, people are like, well, I'm going to just wait for herd immunity. Um, and uh, that takes at least 70% of people to be vaccinated. And I did a little um, research. So in DeKalb County, only 6.3% of the people in DeKalb County um, are fully vaccinated. So y'all got a long way to go where you live for her immunity to take place. <laughs> well, there's probably a reason for that. Um, yes. I, I'll just say it like this. I know like for me, when I was trying to get my appointments and stuff like that, uh, it was hard to find. They were The vaccine was here. It was here in DeKalb. And it, for those of you listening, I live in Metro Atlanta. Um, the vaccine was here, but there weren't a lot of appointments in, as far as like, you know, your, your pharmacies and grocery stores and places like that. They have they have since the time that I actually got my first vaccine shot, they've opened up the scope. So it's, it's more places where it's available. Um, in fact, right. I'm now I've probably over the last three days, I've gotten emails from like five different places saying, hey, we have the vac we have the vaccines here. In fact, I got a my um my my personal doctor, uh, his office sent me an email this morning saying, Hey, we got the vaccine here, you know, there's no wait, you can, you know, come and get it. So we just set up an appointment, whatever the case may be. So it's here. So right. the vaccines are here. It's just, you know, getting people to get out and get it. Um, which leads me to my next question. You, you talked a little bit about herd immunity. Herd immunity is where, you know, we all will want to be at some point. In your, right. in your either personal or professional opinion, how long do you think it's going to take? Because I think 
there's a lot of people, millions of people that are probably sitting on the fence saying, oh, well, I'm going to wait and see what happens. And, and I get it because I was one of those people. And they're going to wait and say, OK, well, and, and, you know, it's kind of encouraging, I guess, to some degree, because in some places, things are really, really opening up. In other places, things are opening up really, really fast. They may be too fast. Um, right. So how long do you think it'll be before we can reach herd immunity? Well, I mean, I'm not Dr. Fauci, right? So we've already said that part. Um, so I don't know. It depends on a lot of factors. It depends on um, how many people take the vaccine. Um, that That's how we're going to get herd immunity. And, uh, and, of course, people who've had, you know, uh, coronavirus naturally, okay? So, you know... I don't know how long it's going to take. What would speed it up is if children, I'm a pediatrician. So if children got, um, were able to get vaccinated, that would speed up the herd immunity process. Um, if people felt safe enough to give their children a vaccine. So, um, but the trials have just started for children. So Pfizer is, is doing some trials in the younger kids. Moderna is doing some trials in the younger kids. I don't know how long that process is going to take, um, or before we feel comfortable um, vaccinating children, but that would certainly speed up the herd immunity, um, process. Um, and so herd immunity is the definition is the amount of people in a population, um, that has to have either vaccination or have had natural immunity, um, from a disease. Um, the percent of the population that needs to have those two, in order for the disease to pretty much kind of go away um, in in the population, so um, you just really don't want to um, leave it to herd immunity because um, we've got a long way to go for that, folks. And so, I mean, I really encourage you, um, even though the cases are going down, the hospitalizations are going down, um, things are opening up, and so that means we'll probably see. Um, some surges um, as people are kind of burned out, really burned out about being stuck at home and not doing anything. And I think people are just um, fatigued and tired and really want to get out there and start living life again as normal. Um, but as that happens, we'll probably see more surges, unfortunately, um, until we can get to that point. And so, like I said, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know when that will be. Um, but the faster people will get their vaccine, um, that would definitely help. Indeed, indeed. So, kids, uh, you mentioned as far as that, that would speed up the process. So, I'm wondering, will it? Be, okay, this is a this is a, a parenting question because <laughs> I, I don't think I don't I don't know that you can necessarily answer this as a medical profession. But could you see a time where it would be something? Because I think this is going to happen at some point where you know how it was when we were coming up in the 80s uh, where we had to get vaccinated to go to school. Like it was a shot. It was certain shots that you had to right. have before you went to school. Yeah. Do you think yeah. eventually we will have a COVID, the COVID shot will be a shot for kids to go to school? Oh, I probably, I would say probably no. I mean, at this point, um, I, you know, that's a, that's a very tricky question, right? So there are mandatory vaccines for kids to go to school and then there are recommended vaccines. So we recommend that everybody get the flu shot every year, but just because your child doesn't get the flu shot, that doesn't mean they can go to, they don't have, you know, they can't attend school. So to me, it seems like this coronavirus will act more like a flu vaccine and we'll have to, 
maybe get a flu uh, coronavirus booster every year like we did a, the flu vaccine. Um, and in that case, uh, that would that would suggest that we w- it wouldn't be required. It would be recommended, mm-hmm. um, just like the flu vaccine is. So you're not required to have the flu vaccine. But most schools, you're required to get measles, mumps, rubella. You're required to get your hepatitis B, your DTaP, all of those beautiful childhood immunizations that we know work very well. So, you know, I don't know. I think only time will tell um, on, on what kind of disease this is going to um, evolve into being and what the vaccination process in the future will look like. Um, but before we do leave, I do want to address something mm-hmm. about health disparities um, in the fact that, uh, you know, we're minorities are more likely to um, contract uh, COVID-19 as well as die from it. And so um, while that's uh, a disparity, meaning we don't make up that much of the U.S. population, we make up a smaller percentage of that, um, I do want to address some people's uh, mistrust of medicine uh, in general, minority groups. That's a real fear. And I think that um, when I speak to people about health disparities um, and reluctancy, uh, we call it vaccine hesitancy, meaning people don't aren't necessarily gung-ho about taking the vaccine. As you and I both, um, Black individuals, we both had, um, you know, reservations about mm-hmm. something, uh, a new technology or a new vaccine. Uh, and, and that's very valid because growing up as a um, Black individual, you are, um, you learn about the syphilis um, study right. with Tessie Airman. You learn about Henrietta Lacks, um, where she her uh, cancer cells were used and now is used in lots of scientific discoveries, um, for which her family never got any um, um, uh, credit for or any um, uh, economic. Uh, m- they got no money for that. <laughs> Didn't get paid. Um, and it was taken without her consent. And so, so what I wanted to end with is even though as minority groups, there have been uh, things that were done to our group, um, and it's not just black people, um, you know, Hispanic people, Native American people, um, there have been a, 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 a gross amount of um, forced sterilizations and hysterectomies in women and all of those minority groups. Um, the most recent was in, um, in Georgia, actually, at the um, ICE detention centers in, in last year, 2020. Um, 57 women in Georgia um, had a forced hysterectomy um, while they were in an ICE detention center. So I understand that there is a mistrust sometimes in minority groups about the um, establishment, in quotes, of medicine and um, do we have your best interests at heart? Um, and um, but and even though those are valid uh, reservations to have, I also really encourage you to look at CDC.gov. Um, the FDA website has everything on there if you want to look at that. Now that's a little technical, so CDC.gov is a good place to to go um, if you really want some more. Um, 
good information to compare and contrast the vaccines, to learn about what they do and what they don't do. They can't intertwine with your DNA and mutate it and change it. It it doesn't work that way. And um, it's not a live virus. So it's not injecting coronavirus into your body. That is a myth. That is not how it works. Um, and, um, And so I think if you educate yourself, if you make sure that you look at the right resources and not Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or, you know, um, some ad that just pops up and says, you know, whatever it says. I mean, you have to do your research for yourself in order for you to feel comfortable. But I also, you know, wanted to allay some fears that, yes, there have thing, there have been things that have happened to minority groups in the past um, that would cause people to mistrust medicine and technologies. But I would encourage you to, to, um, to not let that interfere with you doing something that could save your life or certainly the life of somebody that you love. No doubt, no doubt. I think when COVID first hit, that was one of my biggest concerns. Not necessarily that I would, you know, be hurt myself, but that I could get it and possibly pass it on to someone else and they pass away. Um, right. So I, I totally feel you on that. Um, one more question before we get you out of here. Uh, you, I know you mentioned as far as like we maybe take, so this may not be our last set of shots in your opinion, you think this is going to Oh, no. No, no, no. I I think this will be one that we'll have to get some boosters. I don't know when. I mean, I think the time will tell um, how long each vaccine um, immunity lasts. So that's with all vaccines. So, you know, when we first rolled out the um, chickenpox vaccine, I think kids got one shot. And then they came out later and was like, oh, no, the immunity wanes, so we have to give another shot. We got to give a booster shot. And so whenever you um, have children and they go to the pediatrician and get their shots, these vaccine um, schedules have been, you know, studied over years and decades and years and years and decades and decades. And so it will take time for us to actually eventually know how long these vaccines will keep our immunity. And when that um, knowledge is gained, then we'll know what the time frame is, is when we'll have to get more shots. Um, and so that's with any shot. That's not just um, coronavirus. So for flu, you have to get your flu shot every year. There's different strains. You know, they put two strains from uh, strain A and two strains from strain B and mix them up and give you your flu vaccine. Um, every year. And so that's the quadrivalent, meaning four things are in the, in the vaccine, four strains are in the vaccine. And so I think at some point we'll figure out how long these vaccines will last. Um, hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll last hope a long time. But, you know, <laughs> because listen, I don't want that headache again. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> so I'm, you know, keeping my fingers crossed that it's a long time before you have to get a booster. But yeah, only time will tell and research will let us know um, that as time goes on. Now, you, you got me wondering if I, if I actually took the chicken pox shot, because I remember in eighth grade at Williams Middle School, I got the chicken pox and I gave it a damn to everybody in eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Except me, because I've never had chicken pox before. You lucky. Um, I, had I know. I probably didn't get that shot, but uh, but anyway. Um, no, I don't think it was out back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got the cure. Um, well, hey, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh man, I, I wouldn't have Sharice's BFF on here. You know, and, and, and folks, she is Sharice's BFF. She's no longer my BFF, but you know, I'm I'm glad that she took time out of her busy schedule to come kick it on my podcast. This is this has been dope. Yeah, it was really fun. I was a little nervous, but nervous. you know, this on, was man. yeah, it was. You know, anytime you molecular. Psychology and no, come on. Stuff. You know, all no, I just want to make sure that I'm, you know, giving accurate information, and you know, that's as scientists and doctors, that's what we um, strive to do. And so, I wanted to make sure that I, even though we were going to have a, a lighthearted conversation, this was a serious, right. um, as AK say, a serious matter. And so, I wanted to make sure that I dealt with it with the gravity that it deserved. <laughs> yeah that's gonna do it for us uh thanks again for checking out this edition for of the 12 kyle podcast so for dr jamel felder i am your boy 12 kyle we'll catch you guys on the next go round five five g's